Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for, I kind of feel weird saying the best book about the Japanese incarceration, but uh, here we are. To help me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. I'm a high school English teacher, Joseph Harvey Holshue. And if you're looking for the best book about Japanese incarceration, I brought a graphic novel. Japanese American Incarceration. Japanese American Incarceration. Um, Yeah, I brought a graphic novel by George Takei. I learned how to pronounce it. It rhymes with okay, like George Takei, George okay. Um, He's the guy from Star Trek, Commander Sulu. It's called They Called Us Enemy, uh, written in 2019. Um, So... You may say George Takei, but I, George, George, okay. Dang it. Nope. Nope. You may it's say George, okay, no, but I say George, like amazing. That. That's, dang it. Hey, Joe, uh, live long oh. and prosper. Yeah. Ian, do you want to see them fingies? Oh, he's doing it. Lidheads, you can't see this, but Joe is doing it. Oh, with both hands. Now, Ian, please introduce your book. Hello, Nick. Hello, Joe. Today, I brought a Lithead recommendation. I brought No, No Boy, which is about the aftermath of Japanese internment camp stuff uh, by John Okada. It's his only novel and the publishing history of this book is almost as enthralling as the book's plot. Hmm. No, 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 no. Got a lot of those this week, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I, 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 but I did learn what a no, no boy. This is going to be our first all singing episode. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> So this is a lithead recommendation. We're not just uh, picking this theme because, you know, we're weirdos or something. Oh, I mean, no, let's be fair. We are weirdos, but. Um, oh, yeah. Not but because we, of that. Right. No, that's the, our weirdness is separate from the fact this is a lithead recommendation. Right. Yeah, it's a. We're, it's not, a, we're not just picking it because we're so overly qualified to talk about the subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I will say that while this is a lithead uh, recommendation, I think we've got pretty good timing of it. We, as we record this, we are the day before the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, which of course is the the inciting incident that led to Japanese internment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, okay, so this is what uh, uh, Lithead Sam wrote in. So, No No Boy was one of the first Asian American novels of significant acclaim. John Okada. Okada? Okada. Are we doing it more okay jokes? Okay. okay. John, Oka- uh, John Okada died before seeing the impact of this book. Oh, man, you hate it when that happens. It's oh, just I've got more on that, guys. Oh, yeah, it's more sucks every time. More unsatisfying uh, book history to come. Uh, it's the impact of his book on the Japanese-American community and face backlash and criticism from others. As in the era it was written, it was important for Asian-Americans to lay low, end quote. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Would you rather? It's a would you oh, rather question. great. These always go really well, especially yeah. when they're rather, bad. I'm, I'm scared. Would you rather write one timeless novel oh, that is not recognized until sense. after your death? One timeless novel. Um, one or or <laughs> would you rather better? make like would you rather make like a baller income as a popular novelist who is kind of forgotten as soon as you stop writing? Um, you know, you're just kind of popping, give me an like, example pop. of one. Mm, oh, you know what? We actually read somebody recently on the show. R.L. Stein. Uh, well, R.L. Stein is obviously going to go down in the annals of history. <laughs> um, say that you had somebody who is like, 
Stephen King level, but for some reason, like we like his his James Patterson, James Patterson, James Patterson. The second he stops publishing, he becomes a footnote in history. Nobody cares about him. There's no literary merit. He does not last. So would you rather be one novel of critical acclaim or one James Patterson who disappears as soon as he's gone? But makes a million dollars. Joe, is this is is there is there a correct answer here? Uh, no, no. no, but are we trying to guess the correct answer? No, it's a personal question. It's an honest. Would you rather? to learn about your character, Ian? Uh, so let me just uh, to clarify what I rather uh, have a, a rich, rich life have all, or, all the wealth in the world and, and be a famous author, even though it's only for when I'm alive or have most likely a miserable existence. Or would you rather write a novel that so poignantly captures what it means to be human miserable? that it's t- that it's taught for hundreds of years after your death and seen as timeless? Oh, definitely the money. There's enough books. Uh, full stop. <laughs> this is our secret plan to just to winnow out a few of those books. I think I would rather than this is a personality thing. I would rather have the single timeless novel because I, uh, <laughs> I uh, boo Ian boo I for Ian hiss boo hiss. I've been affected by books. Oh, big big spoiler there! And the effect that the effect that like good timeless art can have on you is just incomprehensible. So. Um, I would, I would take it. Uh, I would, I would take the, the Joe's Joe's would you rather situation did not include being penniless or poverty. Um, mm. but it is just one, one book, but you know, no, you don't you know. know my guy, my, my author this week, John Okada, he was not like some poor poverty stricken hovel. He wasn't like rich, like James Patterson, but he, he was a librarian. He was a truth barian. Sorry. He was a technical writer. Like he had, he, he was okay. He, he, did, he did fine. fine. He did fine. Joe answer the question. Um, I don't know. Oh, wait, you, you prepared this. <laughs> Sorry, I, my, my, I didn't prepare it. I came, to, it came to me when you what talked about it. What do they say on the, in, in, law, in law, never ask a question you don't know, the, already know the answer to? Yeah, um, I guess, gun to my head, I would, I, I think I'd rather be super rich. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. 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 I'm doing a podcast know, with two, two greedy, <laughs> two greedy goblins. Yeah. Uh, two we're, greedy. Hey, we're, hey, 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 you are you're a greedy goblin with announcing the greedy goblin word of the year. You can do it, <laughs> Nick. You can have it. The hey, Nick, goblin hey, Nick have you been hearing? Have you? How did you hear about this? Yeah, don't give me that setup. Nick, I'm going to keep all this in. Nick, <laughs> have you heard anything about words of the year recently? Yeah, stupid this year. <laughs> they decided to go with a stupid thing, and yeah, it's two like words. First off, it's, it's it's slang that nobody's ever heard of except it must have gone viral on tiktok and, and like won the vote because nobody's heard about it it's what is it it's like goblin mode yes going goblin, goblin mode. insane goblin mode you guys going are high school mode. english teachers so maybe you've heard this before but yeah i mean most people have not and it's basically it, it's the word of the year oh, i'm sorry it's two words they picked two words this year and then um it's uh did i say it's stupid yeah, you did. You did <laughs> say it's stupid. Uh, I, I I bounced this. I bounced this uh, off of a, a colleague of mine who um, is very in touch with internet culture, uh, and I asked him if he had heard about this. And he said it had. His 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 line was, "It has real hello fellow kids energy because." <laughs> Because the the institution which is choosing this is the Oxford English Dictionary, which is famously mm-hmm. sort of stodgy, um, and they decided to go goblin mode themselves and 
choose goblin mode. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit uh, Weekly, or as we call it, Strongly Podcast, where every week us or you, the Lit, the Lithead. Wait. Yeah, you individual, you, individual Litheads. You individual the listener. The Lithead, comma, listener. Yeah, I just don't like calling them Litheads because it sounds like shithead. Yeah, hey, that's Nick, the joke, though. We're, we're yeah. actually 132 <laughs> episodes into this. And are, are you just now getting that or? It just feels mean once in a you, while. You're, you know? you're getting twinges of conscience after. Mm-hmm. after it just feels mean. Literally 100. Our plan has worked. It took 130 take episodes, it but Nick has a conscience. <laughs> we take it back, Litheads. <laughs> this is our final episode. Hey. We have cracked the code. This is what it takes to get to make Nick feel guilty. Um, what was I saying? We Where have was a I? podcast. Strong we have podcast. a theme. Yes, theme. Mm. We. And so sometimes litheads, you pick the theme. Sometimes we do. We'd prefer you though. So please yeah. submit uh, some themes or some books uh, on our website. You don't know litpodcast.com. Uh, and to help us, uh, our two high school English teachers uh, who bring book recommendations every week. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. Uh, we have some show rules, of course. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. And rule number three, only winning matters. It's Lombardi. Are you guys ready to win? It's correct. Uh, I'm going to be giving it my all today. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I kind of cruise, but I'm locked and loaded. I'm doing that thing that LeBron James does with the chalk. Oh, good, good, good. And now there's chalk everywhere. He's actually doing it with Mm. the chalk. He's good. And there's chalk. I need to Google how to get chalk out of a keyboard. All right. While he does that, Joe, do you want to say something stupid? No, I would like to read my, my 30 seconds. Yeah, let's do that. You have 30 seconds. Awesome. George Takei, rhymes with okay, was four years old and living in LA when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. It changed his life. His family was rounded up, forced to sell their property, and shipped off to an internment camp. Then another. He and his family spent the duration of World War II living behind barbed wire fences in Arkansas and California. This book tells that story. It won a National Book Award and is on the Air Force Academy's required reading list. You can read it in an hour. Interesting. So that's a solid end, Joe. Nice ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Sometimes you end with things like. And I hated it. Made me want to stop. Right <laughs> yeah, but this is really yeah, a tight. I feel like you practiced. Um, usually I have like little follow up questions. I guess my follow up question is was answered because you said it changed his life. And usually we say, well, for the better, for the worse. But I'm guessing it was for the worse. It's complicated. Oh, oh it's, yeah, it's, it's complicated. complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. Okay. Of course, right. it's complicated. It's a it's, it's a, a book. It's, it's a, pivot, a pivotal moment in his right. life. Ian, your time is over (laughs) (laughs) the u.s government asks ichiro yamada if he would volunteer to fight he says no they ask him to swear allegiance to the u.s he says no so they send him to prison and when he gets out he's a pariah this novel follows ichiro's attempts to reintegrate into a society that doesn't want him and a family that has no place for him. This book sounds like a downer, but it's not. I swear. This week, I brought John Okada's No No Boy, recommended by Lithead Sam H. Thank you, Sam H. Yeah, good one. Thanks, Sam H. Thanks, Lithead. Um, <laughs> when you say it like that, <laughs> it sounds, it's it sounds so offensive. It's your tone, Nick. Sam is a we former student who I respect quite a bit, so... Joe, you brought a real smiley energy to your book, so you that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian, it sounds like you're going to capture the tone properly. Um, let's start. Let's let's start with Joe's uh, stumble. I don't want to give him too much of your tone, Ian. I want to see how he. St- I want to see how he tells this story. 
<laughs> right before Ian, before Ian, yeah, before Ian properly sets the events. tone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I brought a book, a graphic novel written by George Takei. Uh, he had some help writing rhymes it by okay. a man named Rhymes with OK. A guy named Stephen Scott helped him write it. A guy named Justin Isinger helped him write it. And it was illustrated by a lovely illustrator named Harmony Becker. Uh, so I thought I would give full credit. Um, as I far like as that. I can tell, this graphic novel was initially a TED Talk. Uh, this is actually... A lot of this was familiar to me from a TED talk that I've been showing my freshman for, oh, I don't know, something like four or five years at this point. So do you often play YouTube videos for your students? I, I, I almost exclusively play oh, YouTube Khan videos Academy. for students. Uh, you see, the problem is, is that students don't like reading very much. And it's just easier if you put something on. The I screen. saw a really cool <laughs> graphic on uh, Twitter from the Bodleian Libraries, which is a big fancy library in Truthbury in Oxford. And they had three like tubes. And they asked people, visitors to the library, to put colored dots on the tube that best represented the way they liked to read. And one tube said ebooks, and it had quite a few dots. Another tube said audiobooks, and it had quite a few dots. The third tube, you couldn't see what it said because it was so covered with dots, and it was paper books. And this is presented as some massive win for paper books. And I was like, cool. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, the kind of the sort of person who would go to the Bodleian Library, Truthbury in Oxford, library. and put the their yeah. color dot on there is not gonna say, Oh, uh, actually, I prefer the VR novel. Like that's no, yeah, it's yeah. not going to happen. You, you have, I, I believe it's an availability uh, bias is oh, what you have there. Yeah. An availability. This has been statistics yeah. corner. Well, was, was, did movies have a tube? <laughs> yeah, it was called a track. I like TikTok. Is there a TikTok tube? <laughs> <laughs> All right, George DK rhymes with OK. He's best known as his portrayal of Commander <laughs> Sulu in the acclaimed television series Star Trek. He's an actor, a social justice activist, and kind of a social media like superstar. Um, he has a wildly popular Twitter account, like a Twitter account, uh, maybe a Mastodon account or something now that outranks. Twitter. Uh, how do I say this? It, 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 outrank, it outranks Twitter. Yes. he No, he, his Twitter account is more popular than it should be for a guy that was on a popular TV show in 1964. Right. That's, I think that's there's, um, I think it's like not even just like him tweeting. If, if, at this point, I think it's like a content company. Like he, oh, he like has a team of people. Yeah. It, 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 he puts out a ton of content and, yeah. and a lot of like socially aware content, a lot yeah. of social commentary, uh, things like that. Um, he's also as of this book, a New York Times selling uh, bestselling author, which, you know, it's pretty good. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Yeah. All right, Nick, this is where we play. What do you know? Oh. What do you know about Japanese internment? Nick? Is this something? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> time, uh, time to publicly humiliate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, just you. I'm going to conscientiously well, object to playing this game. I'd like to play with both of you from two weeks ago before you read these books. <laughs> is that possible? Nick, we, we read books to learn things. Okay. Well, this sounds like it's going to be a fun game, Joe. Let's do it. It's not really a game. It's just you say things that you it's, know. It's fun for us. It's a game for us. For you, it's, I think, public humiliation is the correct terminology. Just a, yeah. li a list of facts. And the lit heads are feeling the sweet vengeance after you were so mean to them with your tone earlier. I wasn't mean to them. Anyway, well, Joe, tell us about this game. I love game, the Litheads. Or not game. Literally, I can't express enough how this is not a game. Um, <laughs> Joe, we're trying to carefully around. I know I bring a lot of games good. to the show, guys. Well, you brought the mm -hmm. game energy. Yeah, I did bring game energy. Nick, um, in... 
Pearl Harbor was bombed. Internment camps were created through a presidential order. Buzz, uh, buzz. F- true. <laughs> <laughs> okay good nick good <laughs> fdr um he, they did not set out well at least the language of the bill was not explicitly to set out to create internment camps instead what they did was they created military zones of the united states and they said hey there's some zones in the united states that are going to be under military um oversight and in those zones they were called exclusion areas the military had the right to remove essentially anybody that that they wanted after Pearl Harbor, there was heavy anti-Japanese sentiment in the, uh, particularly on the West Coast throughout the United States, but particularly on the West Coast. And uh, essentially, the entire West Coast of the United States was named a military zone, an exclusion area. And over 100,000 Japanese American citizens, let's be very clear here, um, some, were, some were in fact immigrants from Japan, but many of these were first or second generation citizens. Uh, they were moved into internment camps. This is the uh, longest first question to um, a game I've uh, ever... Joe, I'd like to buzz in. <laughs> there were 10 internment camps in the United what States. What is systemic injustice? And, all right, keep going. No, I, I don't have much else to say about the internment camps. Um, it, it went all the way down to one sixteenth Japanese blood, which is wow. Mess. It's, that's pretty. Joe, dangerous. are you going to get to the part where yeah. the U.S. government did some studies and then suppressed mm. those studies? Yeah. Well, I do want to get to the save um, some fun a, for later, Ian. I, I do have a part at the end called <laughs> oh, the U.S. apologizes. Anyway, sorry, as you were. So George Takei, when this happens, is four years old. He's a little kid living in L.A. His Father is a Japanese immigrant, has come here, and his mother is a first generation uh, American citizen. Uh, they have two. They have two kids, and once this act goes through, they are forced to sell their house, um, get rid of their stuff. Basically, they can take anything that they can carry in a suitcase. They're put on a train and they're brought to a camp, a camp in Arkansas. One of the things I liked a lot about this book is that. Well, I learned an I learned an awful lot about Japanese internment, and I, like some of it, I kind of knew, right? Like I knew it in broad strokes. It's like, oh, World War II happened. There were Japanese internment camps. We we should probably be embarrassed, right? It's kind of like what my broad understanding of this. Some of the details of this that Takei has in his book, I thought were pretty revealing. One of the things I thought was interesting was the rationale behind why Japanese American citizens were sent to internment camps. Um, hey, Ian, and, Ian, you're confused as well that I'm not getting any questions here, right? I mean, okay. you did insist yeah, this really, is not guys, a game. It's a really good stick. I know. <laughs> I've insisted several times this is not a game. It's just, I'll get it out of my head. Let's just move past it. Got it. But le- hey, Joe, let me know if you have any questions. I'm happy <laughs> to would. fill in any gaps you may have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do have a question for okay. you. It, it's a, and it's not a oh, gotcha good. question. It was, have you heard of the name Earl Warren before? Earl, Earl Warren before. Do you know the name? Well, he became pretty famous later on. Um, at the time this happens, Earl Warren is the attorney general of California, and he wants to be the governor of California. He is a lawyer. He's an attorney general. Um, He wants to be governor of California, and he notices that he can stir up a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment. It's It's a populist belief that a lot of people really, really get behind. So as he's working to expel Japanese American citizens from from California, he has to give some sort of rationale 
Keep in mind, this is the attorney general, a lawyer, like a a person who's supposed to be pretty good at logic and arguing. He has to give some rationale. And he says, quote, even though there are no reports of spying or sabotage or fifth column activities within the United States, it's a little ominous because the Japanese are inscrutable. You don't know what they're thinking, so it would be prudent to lock them up before they try anything. Okay, this becomes more concerning because the reason that you might know the name Earl Warren is because some years after this, he's going to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, he, he presided over Brown versus Board of Education. He presided over the Warren Commission in the 60s. Um, this guy becomes chief justice of the United States. Cool. Yeah. But he says the Japanese Great. are really it's disheartening. inscrutable. Yeah, it's disheartening. And and it's disheartening, obviously, from like a populist and racist standpoint. But right. it's also disheartening from like a logic oh. standpoint. Like, yeah. like you kind of hope they'd make a better argument. OK, so George Takei and his family, they go to an internment camp in Arkansas. And at first it it as it's portrayed in the graphic novel, keep in mind, it's through like a four year old George Takei as the narrator. It doesn't seem that bad. Like when I think of internment camps, I think of death camps. Like I think of Holocaust, right? Like that's what comes to mind for me. Um, there were barracks that were built for these people to live in. They lived in blocks. They formed like kind of like they elected block captains. They had like a little bit of input in the camp. Like these camps ran is little pseudo democracies behind barbed wire fences, under armed guards, all those things. Right. But like the actual living conditions weren't terrible in these camps, especially pretty early on. Like compared to the the image, I think maybe you have just surface. That's exactly level. Yeah. Compared to the image that you have of what a concentration camp is. Is your book, you said you can read it in an hour. Yes. Is is much of what you're uh, telling us just a little bit of the history? Is that all kind of in this book? No, this is all in this book. Like, I, almost everything I know about Japanese internment, I learned so two days Joe, ago like, when I read Would this you say book. that because a picture is worth a thousand words that you get more in detail than you would? Oh. Yeah. Right. So, How many words then would be in this book, Joe? How many pages Well, we if got? you count every picture, um, this is like the billion, longest book maybe it's ever written. Words. Unless, unless Incredible. you count other graphic novels. This is like that. the Iliad. Um, yep. Or is it Iliad? Mm, we'll never know right so is the book from like his perspective as a as a four-year-old like is that who's telling this is like a four-year-old or is it are all the drawings crucially are all the drawings of the quality that a four-year-old would make (laughs) good 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 The book is narrated from an adult from an adult George Takei, right? That, that's the narrator of this book. With that said, like he shows you the world as he would have seen it when he was a kid. So there's a, a great kind of memorable scene where they're in these swamps of Arkansas and there's this massive barbed wire fence and he's playing with the other kids and they hear a, a, a feral pig on the other side of the fence, kind of like, yeah. And the other kids convince him that it's a dinosaur, and that the fence is put up there to keep the dinosaurs out. And he says, I don't, there are no dinosaurs anymore. And the kids say, ah, 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 ah. in Arkansas, there are. So yeah, that's fucking heartbreaking. Okay. Yeah. yeah so beware. Um, so as they live in internment camps, though, the intern team, they become increasingly bitter, as you could imagine. 
They become increasingly radicalized, as you could imagine. Um, And at a certain point, um, the Japanese Americans are given a questionnaire, right? And I think this is going to presage Ian's book here a little bit, right? As the U.S. is running out of troops, the way George Takei puts it in this book, as the U.S. is running out of troops, they say, hey, I know we have all these like young, healthy Japanese American men in internment camps. If we just like if they're just willing to swear a loyalty oath to the United States, right, we can put together Japanese battalions and like have more troops for the war. And they ask him all these questions, right? Demographic questions and that. Uh, but then at the end of this, at the end of this list, there's two questions, number 27 and 28. Number 27 asks, dear interred man, are you willing to serve on combat duty, do whatever's ordered and ask everyone else uh, and do whatever's ordered? Number 28 is, are you willing to swear an unqualified allegiance to the United States and forswear any form of allegiance to the emperor of Japan? This form is asking this of people who at this point in the war have been locked up for years, who have had and all of their property confiscated or had to be sold at, at, at fire sale prices, like who have lost everything that they had in the world. And one of the things that's interesting about this book is despite this childhood that he had, George Takei also goes like goes on to live a successful life in this country. Like his family, not not to get too far ahead here, but like his family comes out of the internment camp at some point. His family builds a life together. George Takei becomes a famous actor with a stable life where he's allowed to live as an open gay man, right? Um, He becomes a Twitter celebrity, right? Like he becomes all these things. So it's a very strange book because on one hand, George Takei is very, um, there's a tone of patriotism, of unironic patriotism in this book where he very much comes across like, I love this country. I I owe America so, so much. With that said, America's done some super shitty things that they got to own up for, right? Like own up to at this point. As you can guess, when they get this questionnaire, a ton of the interred Japanese Americans say, no, no, we will not fight for this country. No, we will not swear a loyalty oath. And then those people get put on a naughty list, including George Takei's parents. They're moved to a less hospitable camp and um, serve out the remainder of the war there. Yes. What's the timeline? Internment happened in um, f- late 41, early 42. Um, the questionnaire came out in 43. Um, and people who, who were no, no boys, the, the folks who said no to both questions 27 and 28, then dealt with their punishment, um, prison or whatever, um, for the, the last two years of the war. There's another moment in this book that I think it, it was a dimension that I hadn't heard of before and I thought was pretty interesting. At a certain point, the Supreme Court of the United States, this is during World War II, rules that Japanese American citizens who are loyal to America cannot be held in internment camps, right? They say it is illegal for Japanese American citizens, so people born in America, to be held in these internment camps if they are, in fact, loyal to America and they have to be released. And all of a sudden, their family has this really tough situation because you think that's good news. Like you would think that's good news. Sounds but like at a the time, Yeah. At the time, like we are in an active war with Japan. Yeah. All of these people's property has been taken away. They have nowhere to go. They would be going out to a hostile environment. And George Takei's mother qualifies for this, right? Like if she says, hey, no, I am a loyal American citizen, right? 
they will release her and presumably maybe like her children and things like that. His mother chooses in this book to for, to forego her American citizenship in order to stay locked up, which was a very, according to this book, very, very common decision that people made because of the uncertainty, the danger that awaited them on the other side of that barbed wire fence. That blew my mind. Especially if she's got a, she's, if she's got like a four-year-old son. Right. What, what are the illustrations here, Joe? It's a, it's a largely black and white book, um, relatively like, I don't want to say minimal drawings, but like pencil drawings that are like the, the characters are somewhat cartoonized. The, 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 the places are somewhat cartoon, not cartoonish. I but can't like, visualize this, Joe. I mean, you call it a graphic novel. Is it, is it an actual graphic novel? Yes. Like, is it, there's no, like there's what text bubbles or something or like, yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. There's there's text bubbles. The the narrator speaks in blocks, right? Like the square text bubbles at Mm -hmm. the top and the bottom of the, of the thing. Why did he choose that? Is that, is that a like way of telling his story? I have a couple suspicions about this. Um, well, I think there's a few things. First of all, I think number one, um, he never says this, but there is a, there is a, um, Graphic novels are a Japanese medium, right? Like that. That's it's of common storytelling form okay, in Japan. That's in- interesting. Yeah. Um, number two, his story isn't so detailed. This is the Joe speculation corner. Keep going. Yeah, the Joe speculation <laughs> corner. His story isn't so detailed that it like le- that it lends itself to a long novel. Keep in mind that he's recollecting most of this. Like sure. a lot of this is pieced together with personal. conversations with his father. It's personal, and I think he doesn't have so much detail. He remembers things. He remembers his dad being elected block captain. He remembers the dinosaurs on the other side of the fence. He remembers like when the other boys like coaxed him into like teasing one of the armed guards and how they all had to run away laughing, right? Like he remembers moments of it that I I think really lend themselves to something like this, but would be harder to string together into a a chapter book or something like that. This is on the list of band of band band books. This is just a hark back to a previous. This is one of those that people don't like. The U.S. eventually apologized for this. And actually throughout, you know, the second half of the 20th century, there were kind of a series of apologies that happened. Um, There were some reparations paid to the interred Japanese citizens, uh, those of them still living at one point, I think, by the Reagan administration. You know, there were there were Japanese American uh, coalitions put together, et cetera. During while this all was happening, there was a Supreme Court ruling, a separate Supreme Court ruling that basically said that President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's order was legal, right? That he was allowed to make these military zones as commander in chief, that they were allowed to exclude certain people from them. And those certain people were allowed legally under the U.S. law, even if they are U.S. citizens, they were allowed to be put in these camps. It's my business. You have no rights. I can do whatever I want in my store. (laughs) That Supreme Court ruling was struck down finally in 2018. The the Supreme Court threw it out. I mean, 60 years later. Okay. Oh, that seems too recent, Joe. Yeah, it seems too recent. Not only that, but in the book, it's a bit of a like a cruelly ironic tone because the court that threw it out did it as a side note as they were approving falling on the side of Trump and the Trump versus Hawaii case, which is the ruling that held up Donald Trump's ban on immigration from Muslim countries. Good God. Yes, no Muslims, but, but good news. 
we're going to fix this Japanese internment camp situation. Yep. That we're going to yep. get that right. Can I do some math too and just assume that the vast majority who lived through that are now dead? Yeah, I mean, the vast majority that lived through that are now dead. I mean, George Takei himself is, uh, I mean, he's, he's got to be pushing 90. He, well, I don't know about that. He's getting up there. No, well, I think right? he, I think he's I think he is. I think, think he's so? very old. So old. He's, he's so old. Five years. George old. Takei has old bones. Eighty five years young. <laughs> he's eighty five years old, and he was four years old when this started. In math, if it was five, you'd round up to ninety. That's pretty good. So yeah. So like, so George Takei. It's it's such a weird book it is this tone like this underlying tone of like hey i'm proud of my country i'm proud to be an america uh, american i owe this country a lot but also like they did some kind of crummy stuff and i'm not totally sure we've learned our lesson i think that's on our flag (laughs) (laughs) whoops we did it again there was a a recommendation that came in in november or Christmas books, a Christmas book theme. Um, you asked for Christmas book recommendations, and I'm always stunned by how few good Christmas theme books there are. That's how I feel about Christmas movies, Olivia. So here are two from a trilogy I discovered a few years ago, and I'm always sure to reread during December. It looks like one is called The Autobiography of Santa Claus, um, and the other is How Mrs. Claus Saved Christmas. They are two parts of a trilogy, and unlike Patrick Rothfuss, it sounds like <laughs> this trilogy's finished. So if we really needed to know how it ended, <laughs> we we could. That sounds good. Let's do this. Yeah, I love it. Olivia goes on to say that they aren't the greatest books ever. Some of the historical liberties taken, historical apparently character. around Santa Claus, um, are kind of grown worthy, but they are definitely fun and full of holiday spirit. Ian, Ian, we're ready for your tone. Okay. Hey, um, I talk about, I want to talk about this book and I also want to talk about like um, the process that the book took to become a thing that I was able to read. The book is, um, uh, it's not a buildings Roman because it's not following him ah. kind of coming of age. He is already our main character. Our main character, uh, Ichiro Yamada has already come of age and it is a bad age. He does not like the age he's living in. Uh, just to, to use, to use Sam's words, Sam sums this up really well. Sam says, Ichiro is a young Nisei American born Japanese. That's, that's what Nisei means. A young Nisei man who is interned and then imprisoned for refusing the draft. The book reflects on the fractured kinship structures of Japanese families after internment. So basically, he he gets out of prison at the beginning of the book and everyone looks at him funny. Um, His family is just absolutely broken. His dad is an alcoholic. His younger brother is a mess. His mother... This is is one of the freakiest parts of this book. His mother refuses to believe that Japan lost the war kind of QAnon style. She believes that it's all a massive cover up. Japan's actually either still in the fight or winning. Um, And, and so like her situation gets worse and worse throughout the novel. Obviously it's hard for Ichiro who is a no, no boy more on that in a minute. Um, Like that's, that's messed up. So he comes home to this, this, this broken family. Um, His friends pity him and he obviously resents that pity. Um, there are veterans everywhere, uh, white veterans and also Japanese American veterans, and they despise him. They spit on him. They ostracize him. They swear at him. They call him names. White people in general, because this is a time of still systemic racism, 
uh, white people kind of won't give him the time of day. <laughs> oh, yeah, that previous time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he can't get a job. He can't get a job not just because of racism, but also because he said no to question 28. And they look at, they ask him, like, what was you, what were you doing the last two years? And instead of saying, I was fighting for our flag, he is like, I was in prison. And so he doesn't, he can't get those jobs. Right. The, the trick is, is you have to fill in gaps on your resume. I mean, you can't have two years of nothing. Like you have to be self-employed during that time or building. Well, he's not going to lie about it. Like he, he said no. no and that's kind of the, the situation he's in. Um, gradually though, and this is, this is why I say this book sounds like a downer, but it really secretly isn't. He starts to meet good people so that i would say the first maybe two-thirds of this novel is just massive downer and then we hit kind of a key moment um <laughs> where he is at his lowest point at rock bottom and things start to turn around and it's not like it's not it's it's definitely done it's not like uh um he finds a hundred dollars in the street and then he goes and buys a nice suit and gets a good job and meets the girl it's gradual mm. it's subtle but we end the book not not necessarily with him in a better like financial situation, but his soul is starting to heal. Like he's been through a lot. Yeah. Um, and he has hope. He has an outlook that is changing for the better. Yeah. That sounds nice. Um <laughs> it's it's I don't know. Are the first two thirds I feel like I might give up after the first, you know, like, like, like what keeps you going that first half of the book, you know, when you're halfway through the book and it's just brutal and Absolutely. brutal and brutal. Yeah. Is there indications there's going to be lights at the end of this tunnel or no? No, I, I legitimately thought this book might end with yeah. him taking his own life. Um, and, and I actually, so I picked this book up when Sam recommended it several months ago. Sorry, Sam. Um, and I, <laughs> I read the, about the first two thirds and um, then I put it down. Um, because we, it, I, it wasn't yeah. up on the podcast. I had other things to read and I was just like, man, I'm not having a good time. <laughs> I put it down around the place oh. where it seems like things are having a good time back. within the storyline because <laughs> he likes some stinkers. All about Ian. <laughs> but this, like picking it back up, I, I didn't know where it was headed. I'm very happy it didn't end sort of miserably because those are more I think I think the 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 hope is is easier and more pleasant to read. And it's also it's also I think I think it's good it's good to have reasoned, measured hope. Hope good. Um mm. po- the like the positivity, the positivity it carries with it, the possibility of transfer transformation. What happened to all their uh, land and property? That was gone, right? That's just gone. Some of what yeah. Some of them, as I understand it, some of them uh, were able to come back and sort of repossess what they had, what they what they had been what had been stolen from them. But uh, a lot of folks got back, and there was um, there was uh, right. just rat, rampant vandalism, yeah, uh, or their gone. stuff had been stolen, uh, land, property. Um, people who were pretty well off before the internment, you're gone for two years or more, and you come back, and like yeah. things have gone south, really, really south. And and I we can't un- like. I don't want to under undersell kind of the way that people were were thinking and talking about Japanese people at this point. So as I was doing research and prep, um, I ran across a story, a story about uh, a Chinese man. His name was Choi Getming. Uh, he was a tutor um, on December 11th, 1941. Uh, he was walking down the street and 
a gang saw him. This is December mm-hmm. 11th, four days yeah. after December 7th, four after Pearl Harbor. A gang of people saw him, confronted him on the corner, forced him to kneel, tied his hands behind his back, and killed him with an axe. Now, this is not this is not like in a back alley. This is not put him in a car trunk and drive him out to a remote area. This is like the corner of Fifth and Main Streets. This is the, the literally the public square. So it's it's a it's a time when you're trying to lay low. Everyone's trying to lay low. And even after the war, it's not good. You know, I remember um I remember post 9-11 when this happened, like, you know, like when like cabbies were getting dragged out of their cabs and there was open violence against Muslims in the mm-hmm. in the days following 9-11. You know, guys, before we all united and beat terrorism, this is obviously through American <laughs> spirit or or during the during mm-hmm. the early days of the pandemic, there was a huge uptick in uh, hate crimes and, and literal violence, you know, uh, against Asian Americans. So, um, yeah, it, it's always so hard because, you know, you want to think we're getting better. You know, you really want to think we're getting better as a species, and it really just, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Joey's done a really good job talking about the no-no boys, so I'm not really going to um, explain them very, very thoroughly, because this is these are the people who said no to questions 27 and 28. Question 27, will you be willing to serve? By the way, you will probably be in a segregated unit, but would you be willing mm. to serve? Um, and so some people said, well, no, I, they thought, they thought answering yes to question 27 signed them up for war. Right. So they Sound, said, that sounds like a trick if I've yeah, ever heard. They one. were like, nah, no, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to go now. Like maybe if, if, if I were drafted or if I had the chance to volunteer or if I weren't in a segregated unit, but they, they thought this question meant you're well, and by now. the way, like segregated units that had like the highest casualty rates <laughs> of any units in the U in, in World War Two. This isn't meant to be dismissive, but like, are those the questions that they ask everybody joining the military? <laughs> like, do you basically like, you mm, know, I don't know if there's a, if there's an allegiance part of um, like just n- normal volunteering. But but this was this was these were I, I do know these this questionnaire was specially drafted for this moment in order yeah. to, as Joe mentioned, kind of solve the problem of we don't have enough people available to fight i do think allegiance question allegiance questions aren't super uncommon i just came across an article this no. last week where ed where edward snowden um was was becoming a russian citizen F- famous snowden, russian whistleblower <laughs> famous russian yes um he was becoming a russian citizen and like the headline was edward snowden like uh, you know um disowns america and swears allegiance to the russian you know t- to russia and people were writing in and they're like hey I took my American citizenship test and like, I'm a naturalized citizen. We literally do that right. too. Like, like that's part of the yeah. process. Well, when, like when I, when I, when I, uh, when I became, uh, a, an adjunct instructor at the local state university, an adjunct citizen, you had to disown Wisconsin no, and swear your no, allegiance Wisconsin's to Nevada. My number one. No, I had to, I had to swear an oath to defend because I was a public employee to defend the state against threats. Um, this is this is weirdly common, but the issue with this question twenty seven was people thought in the moment that it was sending it was signing them up to go and fight right now, and then question twenty eight asks, "What what's the intent though?" With question twenty seven, has with both of the questions has that ever been made like abundantly clear? I mean, like I don't I know you wouldn't even be able to believe it, right? But like, did any who, who, people that did sign it that? Were they sent to war? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. A bunch, yes. a bunch okay. of the characters in my book are veterans. 
Okada himself, as I'll get okay. into, he said yes to question 27 and he went and fought. Um, so plenty of people did do, did go ahead and fight. Um, plenty of, of, of Japanese Americans did fight for America. Um, uh, I think Joe hit the nail on the head. There's, there's a desire for, for more manpower, but question 28 is the real kicker. Question 28 asks, and, and Joe read this in full. I'm going to read it again because the words are important. Will you swear unqualified allegiance to the U S and faithfully defend the U.S. from any or all attack by foreign and domestic forces, and forswear any form of allegiance or obedience to the Japanese emperor, to other foreign, any other foreign government, power, or organization. And some people listened to this and said, but I never swore allegiance to the Japanese emperor. This is a trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the, like that question, mm-hmm. have you stopped kicking puppies yet? This is a foul. Look, this is fallacious. Right. Yeah. And then so people heard this question like if I say yes to question 28, I am acknowledging that previous to now I was disloyal. But now good news, I'm loyal. And they were like, I'm not going to do that. So people who said no to both questions. No, no. They were called no, no boys. And they were thrown in jail until the war was over. Um, And that's that's what our main character deals with. Yeah, fuck them. I wouldn't send that shit either. Right. I mean, like, yeah, these are the people. Tough. These it'd are not tough, people but... who are like, hey, in good faith, we're concerned that you might be a a, a foreign agent. We haven't interned you yet. We're coming yeah. to you like equally. These are people pointing guns at your face. People who have interned you in like rural Nebraska for uh, two years, and now they're saying the worst of locations. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're saying. Good news. You can repent of those sins, which you maybe haven't committed and swear fealty. Like, yeah, I understand. I understand the desire to say no. The author was not a no-no boy. This is kind of our trope of the week. Mm-hmm. This is our trope. Okay. Uh, there we I'm go. Sorry. I, nice check I was, and see if Joe I was trying was to figure out what the trope was. Thank you. The trope of the week is write who you know. Um, this is when the author builds their own life experiences into a fictional story. Oh, can you? I wish you would have said write who you know now. Oh, can you do yeah. it again? The trope of the week. Do you take it from the top. The Ian? trope of the week is write who you. Ian, take it from the top. Uh, um, mm-hmm. This is our. This is our trope of the week. Oh gosh! Wow! 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 Boy, train wreck. We're great. Sorry, train wreck in real time. In this, in this trope, the author builds their own life experiences into a fictional story. Okada is not a no-no boy. He was a veteran. He 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 flew um, in the air force. So this is not a one-to-one. This isn't like him thinly veiled telling his story. But there is a clear connection between what he went through and his experiences. He was from Seattle, which is where Ichiro is from. Um, he survived the internment the worst of locations. internment camps, like Ichiro does. He's Japanese American. Um, there's there's a lot of kind of similarities which we can detect between him and and um, his main character. He was interned. Um, Okada was interned at the Minidoka concentration camp. Sorry, internment camp. Oh, Freudian slip there in rural Idaho, and he was 18 years old. He had to he pull out of school, pull out of college, and and go um he wrote a poem right after pearl harbor where he kind of like works through his responses to it and we still have this poem it's a great it's a really good poem um when he applied to go to college outside of the exclusion zone the authorities looked at that poem and said yeah he's loyal he's all good he can go he can go to college in 
uh, actually in, in uh, Eastern Nebraska as it happens. So he, uh, when they, when they asked questions 27 and 28, he did vow allegiance. He served in the air force. His job was uh, a Japanese translator. So they would, the the airplanes would intercept radio messages from the Japanese and he would translate Mm. them. Um, After the war was over, he went back to school and got uh, a BA and an MA in English. And he wrote this novel. And when it came out uh, in 1957, a lot of critics were like, shut up, especially Japanese American critics. They were like, this is not a good, this is not a good representation of us. We're we're looking at 12 years after the war is over. Um, Japanese Americans, as, as Sam describes it, they were encouraged to lay low. And this is book is not laying low. This book is like putting a name to the issues that Japanese Americans dealt with. Um, So the book kind of lay fallow. It was a print run of 1500. Um, it, it just like it, it was set to disappear. And then in 1971, 1970, nope. Yes. 1970, a, a professor and writer named Jeff Chan was browsing a bookstore, a used bookstore, and he found this book and he loved it. And he reached out to Okada. And when he called, he got Dorothy Okada's wife. Uh, who told them that John had died recently and she had tried to donate his papers to UCLA because he was a novelist, right? He went to Columbia for his master's degree. He was like a, he was a, he was a, a a writer. He, he worked as legit. Yeah. He worked as a, as a a librarian, a truth librarian. He worked as a technical writer, but he was a, he was a novelist. He was writing novels and um, she tries to donate his papers to UCLA. They turn her down. No publisher wants anything to do with his work. He's dead. And then Chan calls. And um, one of Chan's colleagues says this about kind of their interaction with Dorothy after, um, after they, when they, when they get in touch with her about the estate and about the copyright. Um, the, this colleague, uh, Lawson Fusawinata says, Dorothy is a truly wonderful person. It hurts to have her tell us that John would have liked you. It hurts to have her tell us that you two are the first ones who ever came to see him about his work. It hurts to have her tell us that she had recently burned his other novel, which we both researched and which was almost finished. It hurt to have her tell us that the people she tried to contact about it never answered. So when I moved, I burned it. Because I have him in my heart. Oh, you could say John was, was ahead of his time. That he was born too early and died too young. So. I still don't get the burning thing. She's, yeah. she's there. It's over. She thinks, she thinks it's been yeah. 13 years since this novel was published. She's tried to get it out there. No one will do anything with it. She thinks he's been ostracized. He's been ignored. She thinks it's, it's over. And she says, I have you. Oh, she says, I have man. you in my heart. I don't, I, I, I don't need this oh. stuff. Yeah, no, I, I got it. Yeah, yeah no, I understand. Nice. I'm just saying, <laughs> oof, that one hurt. So, oh. so she gives, she gives Chan and his friends, um, Frank Chin, uh, Inada, who I, I just quoted and a guy named Sean Wong. She gives these, these four men permission, uh, and they reprint first just an excerpt from the novel, and then they reprint the whole novel in 1976. And this reprint is fundamental in igniting this conversation about Asian American literature. Um, it kind of goes along with the movement to acknowledge that internment camps were a thing, and this was hugely unjust. The critical attention on this novel continues throughout the years. In 2014, there was a, a new, a brand new edition. Um, in 2018, a new biography of Okada came out. 
And then, and this is this is why I had to tell the story because it's just so it's ridiculous. Okada is like this sort of canonical figure by now. Enter multinational media publishing conglomerate Penguin Random House. <laughs> Penguin, Ra- Penguin guys, Random House says, guys. "Cool, nice, uh, nice Asian American classic you got there. Would be a shame if somebody printed a pirated edition of that." Oh, no. And so in 2019, talk about recent. In 2019, the Penguin Random House edition comes out and it's just it's just totally pirated. And when they were confronted by the University of Washington, which has the copyright, they uh, they say, well, uh, we, we thought it was in public domain because of these legal reasons. People got angry mm-hmm. since then, since 2019, Penguin Random House has scrubbed their website of any mention of this edition and has stopped advertising it. So it turns out there is such a thing as yeah. bad publicity, but it's a long, it's a long, <laughs> are we going to have to bleep this once we inevitably get sponsored by penguin random house? Hey, penguin <laughs> random house, please don't pirate this podcast. Mm-hmm. Don't buy do... us, buy us, buy us. No, I mean, you could buy us. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Now, Joe and I have made a lot of money off of our books. So we're, we, no. <laughs> we yeah, need we'll a lot good. to make it worth it. So with all this stuff that Okada <laughs> has to go through, you kind of understand if the novel was just bitter if it was just like the two-thirds of it that were that were bitter and that's yeah. that's it but it's bitter but it's not it doesn't stay bitter ichiro the main character he meets these people they start to restore his faith in humanity and his faith that america can be that that americans can be good and that america mm-hmm. can be good so he meets this this white engineer uh, mr carrick and mr carrick is just like really chill and he's like hey i'll give you a job i don't care that you're a nona boy yeah like you're you're good at, at uh, drafting. You're good at engineering. Come on. Come on over. Um, he has a friend named Kenji mm-hmm. who is a veteran who is dying of a gangrenous wound that won't heal. And Kenji is like hopeful and optimistic, even though Kenji is like in the process of dying. He meets Emmy, who is a, the wife of a Japanese American soldier who is afraid to come home. Gradually, as these people kind of exist in his life, he starts to accept that. Yes. Yes, there are human beings who are not cruel, who are not stupid, who are not evil. Um, Not everybody despises Mm -hmm. him. He might have a place where he fits and he gradually, slowly begins to heal. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's A Safe Place to tell me all the bad things about your book. Joe, would you like to go first? Oh, no, I hadn't prepared for Tiffany's. Let me think of something I hate it when you Would do you this. like to go? Yeah. What, when I do this? Yeah, Joe, you're always like, oh, I can't think you of anything. You do this. It's so good. You do this. You do this. Okay. Okay. I can't think of anything. That's enough. I just think I haven't that's prepared enough. for it. <laughs> this, here's no, my I, Tiffany's. This book. That's it. No bad things <laughs> about your books. Tiffany's is closed. <laughs> you guys can't get along at Tiffany's. A safe space. The safest space. <laughs> What's this world coming to? Um, both of these books sounded excellent. Joe, I like the fact that I could just look at yours, not read it. That's, yep, that's enticing. Pictures tell the story. Yet there's still thousands of words. Very brilliant. <laughs> Ian? Feels like a cheat code. Ian, your book also mm. sounds good, but were there any pictures in it? No, zero. Okay. Uh, Joe, you lose. Um, oh, what? Co- I have such a good quote. It's from George Nikai's TED Talk. He tells a really cool story about a Japanese battalion that like out, uh, takes out a German outpost. Ah, uh, see, if you tease it, we have to read it. You son yeah, of a bitch, well, Joe. Yeah, you son no, of a no, bitch. No. But but 
Shut up for a second. Oh. Ian, Ian, you also teased a quote I earlier did. about uh, a thing. A poem. Remember that? Yep. Do you have that? I do. Oh, on hand. On hand. It's not like, is it really long? Nope. It's two neat stanzas. Oh, Joe, oh, you 46 lose. lines No, each. Joe, you, you lose. Uh, Joe, you fucking loser. Tell the Litheads what to do. <laughs> All right. Um, Litheads, go and watch George Takei's TED Talk. He tells a really dope story about the 442 no, second no, chapter. No, you're supposed to tell the Litheads. <laughs> All right. Um, and after, while you're on the internet, I guess you could head over to you don't know lit podcast.com suggest a book suggest a theme we've been on a roll with listener recommendations for yeah. uh, books and themes lately we'd love to keep that role going hey, joe students um, i'm addressing you directly um mm-hmm. i have been told that you listen to this show which just <laughs> sparks joy um joe students please just start calling joe uh, youtube joe <laughs> YouTube and Joe. <laughs> we'll see if they listen to the end. I think a lot of students listen to the beginning, and then when we get to the oh, books, they're like, well, don't, don't sell your uh, students short, Joe. Classic YouTube, Joe. Classic YouTube, Joe. I will also take Joe Boat. Joe um, hey, head on over to youdontlitpodcast.com. Suggest a theme. Suggest a book. Um, head to your podcast player of choice. Like, subscribe, leave a review, etc. And more than anything, tell a bookish friend. Uh, bookish friends is how we make new lit heads i guess some of you also procreate and then you have like little lit heads at home but Thank that's the slow way of doing it right i'm gonna read i'm gonna read okada's poem he wrote this uh and when he was 18 years old after uh december 7th after pearl harbor and he responded he reflected on um on kind of what what he had seen he says i'm a japanese american descendant of japanese parents sworn to the allegiance of the united states I'm fully American and proud to be so. I owe all this to my the land of all. I owe my all to this land of my birth, and I will gladly uphold the laws, traditions, and policies of this nation. On the evening of December seventh, nineteen forty-one, after there was no doubt as to the significance of the dastardly move taken by the Japanese nation, I sat in my room and thought of the situation in which I, as well as others like me, had been placed by this unforeseen attack on the United States. And so he writes this poem. He says, it's still unorganized and disunified, but most of my thoughts have been captured as they were that evening before I had little chance to discuss the matter with anyone. The title is, I Must Be Strong. I know now for what war I was born. Every child is born to see some struggle, but this conflict is yet the worst. For my dark features are those of the enemy and my heart is buried deep in occidental soil. People will say things, and people will do things. I know they will, and I must be strong. I dread the thought of having to leave home each day, the thought that I must continue as naught has happened, for clouds will hang where the sun was bright. Everyone will smile, but what of their thoughts as they gaze on me, whose eyes are so black? People will say things, and people will do things. I know they will and I must be strong.